Welcome to Alessia's Divine Comedy, a journey through Dante's masterpiece, a read-along podcast hosted by me, Alessia Cesana Harris. This is episode 17, Paradiso, Canto Terzo, The Sixth Day, Early Afternoon. Hello again. Apologies for dropping this episode late once again. If bronchitis was not enough of a problem on its own, I had a fairly intense day-long migraine attack, so forgive me also for being still a bit off as a result. I guess I have plenty to offer for the real-life souls in purgatory. Today we are still in the first sphere, and now that Dante's curiosity has been satisfied, we will meet the first few souls of the Paradiso. But first, we get more of Beatrice's amusement at Dante's humanity that has not yet been perfected, and therefore falls into naive thoughts. Hollander made a funny quip about how many readers going through Canto Secondo see it as the most laborious and unwelcoming of the whole poem, and if it sets the tone for the whole cantica, they'd rather go spend time with the damned again. I guess I am saved by my extreme nerdiness, so while it's true that I've found Beatrice to be underwhelming compared to my memories of what Beatrice was meant to be like, it's also the case that the third book is the one I studied less in the past, since by the time I got to the final year of high school then the looming final exams meant a rather less thorough reading of the one book in the frenzy to cram the curriculum into our heads. Every subject was a bit rushed too. Although, for English, the main full book that I had to read was The Picture of Dorian Gray, so that took me mere hours. And then I had Camus the Stranger for French, and to this day I haven't read it past page two, because it has to be one of the worst things ever written. And yes, I have read Joyce's Ulysses. Many hate it, but I still find it easier to appreciate than Camus. Anyway, this digression should maybe show that I'm off entirely by the third cantica because I'm weird but I wouldn't go as far as saying I have picked up on Dante's now expressed intention of writing an aesthetically pleasing explanation that would make any worthy attractions pale in comparison. I'm afraid that for as much as I admire the intellects of the Catholic philosophical and theological tradition and in fact I owe them the very fact that I became open to faith as a young woman I'd still be more impressed by the view that they get. Nothing leaves me more speechless than a starry sky showing God's fingerprints on the universe. If I think about all of the science and how what I can see is only a tiny bit of the whole of creation, I'm amazed beyond anything that words can express. And I am someone who's pretty good with words, if you'll allow me to say that myself. I'm just repeating feedback. C.S. Lewis once said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, so I should be in the clear for being honest about the literal one single thing that I'm good at. Anyway, the first few verses are basically Dante's way of refashioning his own infatuation with Beatrice into an admiration that depends on a role as bearer of grace and guide. Soon we see him getting distracted by what's going on around them, as usual, and we find another innovation of the paradigm. The souls are evanescent. He describes it as the myth of Narcissus, except that he's enamoured with the souls rather than his own reflection. That appears to have somewhat lost some of his methodical organising of the afterlife, which characterised the two places where some kind of punishment was going on, because we now we find ourselves in a scheme organised around how close to God you can get. 
He finds a soul that appears eager to talk, who will reveal herself to have been Picarda, the sister of Corson for Donati, who we discussed in the past. She was a Franciscan nun who was forcibly removed from her convent and forced to renege on her vows in order to make new vows in matrimony to advance her family's political interests. She died shortly after the wedding, and this version of the facts is in contrast with some later legends which saw a prayer for the marriage not to take place to have been answered with an illness, possibly leprosy. Dante Spicarda is well aware that she was a defective spirit, for a weak will is what played the key part here. One of the noticeable aspects of the way in which heaven works is that the souls are all much more beautiful than their earthly countenance, to the point that Dante took a while to recognise her. She tells us that they reside here permanently. They are relegated, which was possibly used in this classical sense of a lesser form of exile. He also refers to them as ombre, that is, shadows, in the way he described the lesser souls and especially the damned. This has been seen by commentators as being, perhaps, a way to stress that it just about made it to heaven. Every third canto so far is open with a sinner, which is an example of sin and redemption. We have Celestine V in the Ante-Inferno, despite being formally canonised in 1313. I'm not sure if I mentioned before, my bad. Then we had Manfred in Purgatory and now Picarda. None of these figures are the kind of person we think of when thinking of a saint, so we have no excuses for ourselves. Dante can work with old clay, no matter how hardened it has become. One such example is the net soul with the we'll see, Costanza d'Altavilla. One of the key aspects of the souls we'll find in this cantica is their detachment. Even Picarda, who seems to be eager to speak because she recognises Dante, shows this state of being somewhat personal. Another way in which the detachment appears is the acceptance of her fate, and a role in being a soul born for good that ended up in the first sense of heaven. I guess from our perspective it's all quite sad, but they are still experiencing eternal happiness, and it makes sense that they don't feel the desire to have a higher degree of happiness. It's not like us humans at a concert wishing we didn't get to the stage at the last minute so we could get a better look at Brandon Flowers. That reference is actually not to me, although it is to a real-life event, and specifically the Pukal Pop Festival in 2008. I enjoyed being far from the stage, lying down on the grass, staring at the stars when Sigurds were playing, even if it came at the cost of being that far when the killers came on stage for the closing set, unlike my friends who had been queuing for hours under the sun to be closest to the stage. It was the summer after high school, and it's still the best time in my life, so I guess I can sympathise with the souls being contented to go along with divine justice, even if, from an earthly perspective, there are things that appear like a better deal. The souls in this sphere of heaven are all people who did not stick to their vows. So one such person was, as I already mentioned in passing, Costanza d'Altavilla, namely a former Franciscan nun who became the mother of Frederick II. It's not actually known for sure that she was really removed from a convent to be married, or at least if she was in perpetual vows at the time, especially since there are conflicting accounts on their parentage, so the whole thing is a bit patchy. She appeared to have been relatively devout, though, or at least she did push for her subjects to swear fidelity to the Pope while she was regent, so the idea she kept the monastic ideals in her heart may not be entirely unfounded. After the talk between Picard and Dante, she will sing the Ave Maria and vanish. 
then says questions. So it turns to Beatrice, only to be blinded by the light that she radiates and changes mind about asking them. It's been a relatively light canto from the theological point of view, even though it did introduce a pretty fundamental idea. I guess we'll see more on it in the next few months anyway, and perhaps more on the fact that Beatrice knows Dante's thoughts too. And so far it seems to me like everyone just takes it for granted and it's not really explored in the commentaries. So, see you next episode! Thank you for listening to today's episode of Alessia's Divine Comedy, A Journey Through Dante's Masterpiece. Thank you also to Alexander Nakarada for the music, which is fun for 10 or adds if it was not meant as a Roman numeral, and is available in the public domain. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alessia underscore Sheik or on my blog www.sheikandcatholic.com.